real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast. Be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Podcastpreneur Podcast, where you will learn how to produce, promote, and profit with a podcast. This episode originally appeared on the Frugalpreneur Podcast. To receive free access to my upcoming podcasting masterclass, please sign up at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash masterclass. That's T-H-E. S-A-R-A-H-S-T-J-O-H-N dot com forward slash masterclass. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today is a media marketing expert. He specializes in helping individuals and companies build audiences via broadcasting and podcasting. Welcome to the show, David Hooper. Thank you, Sarah. Glad to be here. And can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, your history, and your background? Yeah, if you want to go way back, I started in the music industry. I was born in Nashville, and that is what we do here. Born with a guitar in my hand, and that's how I got into media, actually. I was doing radio promotion, and I thought... This is when I was in college, when I was actually in a band, that if I were to actually get on the radio myself, that I could play my own music. And they said, no, you can't do that. That's illegal. But I stuck it out and eventually got on the air myself going beyond just promotion. And eventually radio became podcasting because radio is in transition. It's still a great medium and it's still a great opportunity if you can get it. But I love having the control of being able to. For example, this podcast, it doesn't have a specific length. With radio, I've got 13 minutes. I got to get in and out, take a commercial break, 13 minutes in and out, you know, and I've got to have permission to actually get there. And I love being able to take control of your own business. So that's how I got into podcasting. So you started in broadcasting and then you decided, I want to do my own thing and start a podcast, basically. Well, yeah, to say that I started in broadcasting, that might (laughs) be... uh, I wasn't a broadcaster. I had a music marketing company called musicmarketing.com. And I had kind of tinkered around when I was in college and post-college, just being a jock, doing something like playing, just playing music, you know, all right, here's the new single by Nirvana, like that kind of stuff. More or less just for fun though, because I had a big mouth. And I was thinking, how can I market myself as a music marketer. Well, why not, since I'm in Nashville, get on broadcast radio and take a show that goes everywhere. And that's what I did. But because podcasting was a thing at the time, this was 2005 and it was just coming up. I said, well, why don't we just go ahead and throw it on the internet? Let's see what kind of audience we can get that way, not just go locally. You know, every time I go on the air, there's about 30,000 people listening to me. But by going on the internet, we expanded even beyond that. And it got to the point to where the podcast was bigger than the radio show as far as reach and and just put more gas on the podcast. I I could see where things were going. I'm still on radio and I love it, but you've got to be near me in Nashville, Tennessee to actually hear me on that broadcast signal. Okay. So you're still on the radio. So is it still the same station, still doing the same thing or? Yep. I guess our flagship station, as we say, WRLT in Nashville, we call it Lightning 100, 100 100.1 FM. But 
At the time when we started, we were syndicating and the show was going out everywhere. So when I say 30,000 people, that's just the Nashville station, but it was going out. We did Las Vegas. We had a cluster in, in the South, like in Alabama states. I don't even remember where all that it went, but because the podcast was growing at that time and we were able to reach people, I guess it, the bottom line is it was cheaper to reach people because we can just put it out and, and promote it ourselves rather than go through syndicators and worry about advertising and station managers and that kind of thing. We ended up more or less dropping the syndication. I think we're on Las Vegas still, but yeah, that's, <laughs> that's basically how it ended up. I was just here marketing myself and I was the guy who had the biggest mouth in the room. So I ended up being the host. Ah, okay. <laughs> and, and I learned it. I learned it as I went. So then when did you start this big podcast brand? So the big podcast brand started, I'm doing the math here. It started in 2017. And that was because kind of a midlife crisis. At that point, I had done musicmarketing.com for 20, 25 years. And I, I was just burnt out. It was like working in a factory. We got what we call hat acts in Nashville. And being in Nashville, you definitely work with them. But if you think of like a soap opera star that doesn't really stand out from the next soap opera star, it would be those kind of people. And we put them in a cowboy hat, Wranglers, boots. And there's a system that you would go through. And after 20 years of that, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I need to branch out. And uh, a big podcast just allowed me to do that. Media marketing, as you mentioned at the very beginning of the episode, with people who weren't musicians. Because I'd been doing that secretly. I've been working in film and television. I had done things with authors, a lot of author work, commercials, that kind of thing. And it wasn't that I was afraid to let people know about that, but I was known as a music guy. And what I didn't want to be known as was a jack of all trades. So a big podcast just kind of allowed me to continue the media marketing story. But you know, it wasn't weird if I branched out of, of musicians. And then how did you get the idea to write your book, Big Podcast? Well, that was part of it because coming from 20 years of music marketing, I, I've got a few music business books and just had such a reputation in that world. I still get emails every week. Oh man, I love your book. I love your book. And people want to work with me. Bands do. And I knew that I was going to have to do something really big. The reset maybe to go into this next stage of my career. And I said, okay, I'm going to write a book. And then the book kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger because I wanted something to be substantial. Because we talked about with the radio show, that's since 2005, but I was first on the air in 1991 when I was a freshman in college. So I had the background. I was like, all right, I'm going to put it in the book. And, you know, four years later, 93,000 words. <laughs> here, here we are. <laughs> yeah, it's a big book. We were talking before before we hit record and how I had ordered it. And I, I didn't look at the page count or anything like that on Amazon. And when I got it, I was like, oh, wow. No, yeah. not, not in a bad way, in a good way. Yeah. Well, I was the same way. And that's why it took me another year to get the audio book out because the intimidation that you felt when you look at a book like that, I felt it as well. And I was like, oh man, what did I get myself into? <laughs> it's, it's big. You don't have to read it word for word. I, I always talk, you know, use it like people use the Bible. Just look up a a verse 
get the little wisdom in there uh, like you want it, just one bite at a time. And uh, you can read it all the way through if you want, but you don't have to. After you're done reading it, you can use it as like a paperweight and then just oh, yeah. refer back to it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine recording an, an audiobook for a book that size. I can't even get myself to record an audiobook for my books that are like 10,000 words. <laughs> uh, well, it's intimidating. And I had done audiobooks before and working in broadcast and podcasting. You know, you've got to have that perfect performance. And then for me, I'm hypercritical. So when I say that I, it's a 10 hour book, 10 hours and something of finished audio, but I probably did 50 hours of audio and then had to edit it down because I was looking for that perfect performance and it's still not perfect. So yeah, it was intimidating. I just had to take it off one bite at a time. And you're looking at probably a couple hours a day for a while and then to edit it. And I had to bring in professionals to clean up the breaths and that kind of thing. So fortunately, you can hire some of that out. But I felt I needed to read this one because it is about bringing yourself to the performance. It is about bringing yourself out there in an authentic way that people can hear. And they didn't want to hear somebody else read it instead of me. Since I'm saying that, I, I got to eat my own cooking. Yeah, that's true. Have you found the return on investment of time and then also money by outsourcing out some editing? Have you found that to have at least broken even or made a profit on that? The outsourcing element of it? Well, and I guess just the time as well that you had spent personally recording and editing. I have sold a lot more books of the other books that I have done than big podcast. But for me, it was so important for me to go into this new direction and to not be, oh yeah, that's that guy who used to do music, but to know and have people know that I actually do know my stuff when it comes to podcasting. Yeah, it's been worth it for that. And I think the interesting thing is there's not a lot of money on the book itself. The book is selling for $10.95 on Amazon right now. And let's say I make a couple bucks. I don't even know because I haven't even looked. I don't know how many books I've sold. I don't worry about that. But when I'm in a meeting with a big company, because a lot more big companies are coming into podcasting, and I can throw that book on the desk, bam, <laughs> they pay attention to me more than they would if I didn't have that book. So in that case, yeah, the, the money has come back to me, but it hasn't actually been through the sales of the book. And that's not to say the book hasn't done well. I'm sure it's done fine. It's just not something that I worry with. And I know for a fact, just based on the number of reviews that you know, the musician book, some of those books have sold a lot better than than this one. I'm curious what people's reaction are when you do slam that big book. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I tell them. I said, I, I couldn't have a small book and call it big podcast. It's got to <laughs> be congruent. Yeah. People are intimidated by it. The truth is, though, and you know, this as an author is that especially in nonfiction books, I feel that a lot of people buy books and they never open them. So I'm getting some value of just the size of this thing. I think that's it. I think the reaction is similar to yours or similar to even mine when I first saw it the first time. I was like, man, that's a big book. Do I have to read all that? And yeah, I, the only reason I read it is because I had to do the audio book, though. I think I would have skimmed through it, to be honest with you. Well, and it's interesting. It, it approaches the subject of podcasting in a different way than because I have several books on podcasting. I, I tend to get a lot of book around a particular topic and kind of go through them all. But it approaches it from a different angle because the others are more focused on like equipment and right, you know, all that stuff. The details, I guess. Yeah. And I thought about that. One, I'm not an equipment guy. I've got equipment in here, but I had engineers help me set it up. I mean, I can kind of set it up. You know what I mean? I, I know a little bit just from being in the music industry, right? And being around it 
all my life, but I've got to have help with that kind of thing. The other element of that was it's a lot of work to do a book and I didn't want to have something that was going to change every month. The equipment I use now is different than the equipment I used five years ago or even one year ago. So I I figured that since there's that aspect of it, the equipment is always changing. But just like you mentioned, there are other books that already covered that. I wanted to bring something that I could bring to the table that was different. And with my marketing background, and I think just the way that I look at the world, it is a unique way, or people tell me that it is. I was like, you know, I'm just going to bring that to the book. Because that's the difficult part is building the audience. It's not the equipment. People are intimidated by the equipment, but it's more or less just a microphone plugged directly into a computer these days, or it can be. You know, I could set you up in five minutes with the equipment that you needed to do this. But what about building an audience? That's a whole lot more complicated. And it's very nuanced as well. And you had mentioned that more and more businesses are having podcasts. I almost think that at the rate that podcasting is growing, that it's almost going to be, you know, like every business needs a website or, well, some people would say a sales funnel. But I feel like a podcast is going to be almost as important as a website even. I think so. I think a podcasting at its core is a way to connect And it's a very personal way to connect. You think about your own business, when people can hear your voice, when you have these little stories that you can tell, and just a fluke. I always use the example of I'm vegetarian. And I'll say, you know, well, Sarah, I'm vegetarian. And you wouldn't believe how many people write to me. Oh man, I'm vegetarian too. What What do you like to eat? Do you have any good recipes? And I'm not out promoting vegetarianism. And it connects people, right? I I couldn't put that on on the website. Uh, I wouldn't put it on the website. It had nothing to do with podcasting. It's just a a fluke. But businesses can really humanize themselves by having podcasts. I think they're finding that out. And it's another thing that's important right now, which is that it's portable, that in the car, you can reach people in the gym, when they're on a walk, when they're cooking, and they want to listen to something, but they can't necessarily watch it. It's a great way to connect with people. So I agree with you. I think a lot more businesses are going to come into that. And we're still learning this just like we were 25 years ago when the web started happening, like how to do it. I think a lot of businesses came in and they were very corporate. And now you're seeing more stuff like this, more conversational that adds a human element to that business. I'm curious to hear about you audition for the VeggieTales. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been using my voice for a long time. As mentioned, 1991 is when I got into radio as a jock and doing production just at the school station, then post-college at a different station. But one of the things that I did when I was in the music industry, I had a record label and we did some, I would call it spoken word, but it was basically prank calls where we would call up, strangely enough, I would call up radio stations and we would, my friend would pretend to be an old woman and then he would say something completely ridiculous. And, but what? But that, that wasn't Melba. So we, we were prank calling people. And I was used to using my voice and I had these characters and I happened to work in the same office as VeggieTales, as the booking agent for VeggieTales. And somebody's like, oh man, you know, you'll be perfect for this. I guess word gets out. You know, I was out plugging that record for a while. So, okay, yeah. So um, send them the stuff. And that that's where the conversation pretty much stalled. I, I can't say that I actually auditioned, was in talks with them. But I think once they heard my stuff, the stuff where we're pretending to be old women and it's kind of crude and (laughs) juvenile humor, (laughs) the conversation ended at that time because VeggieTales, of course, is a Christian or at the time it had a a Christian bent. I think it still does. And like, no, this this isn't the guy for us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I thought it was was a funny story to uh, talk about how you can use your voice in different ways and 
you know, maybe someday. I'd love to be. I, I had another opportunity actually with there was a King of the Hill knockoff that never happened, but I was excited. Billy, I, I guess I can, I can say this Billy Bob Thornton was going to be in it. This is 15 years ago. Had another opportunity and somebody approached me about that, that I could have been like the Bobby Hill of whatever the Nashville version of King of the Hill, if you're familiar with that show, mm-hmm. but never really done that much voice acting. But it, it's an opportunity because people think, oh, you can, you know, you talk well. Let's get you on that. So if you've ever thought about it, those opportunities may come up for you. Hmm, yeah, I've never even thought of that. That's interesting. And then you also did something with Miss Cleo. Is that right? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was actually part of the record that I mentioned. So do you do you know Miss Cleo? People uh-huh. mention her. People used to know her all the time. Didn't she pass away recently? She did very recently. Yeah. And she used to be on television all over the place. And she was a woman. She would read tarot. She would call me now, honey. <laughs> and she was an actress, but she was reading tarot cards. Yeah. Anyway, I had a, a job working for Miss Cleo. That was one of the things that I was doing when I was starting my record label is I was working the side job as a phone psychic. And I wasn't, I'd, I'd been in music. So I knew music is based around numbers. It's really all it is, is math. And I I'd, I'd purchased a book on numerology and I was like, okay, I, I, I can't do the psychic thing. And I don't know tarot, but I can read your number. So I figured out a way to say, oh, you know, you were born in 1945 and this is what this means. And here's your birthday. And I basically had a list of stuff that I could read. And it was really just talking to people. But yeah, it's a funny story because that was how I funded getting into the music industry, working as a phone psychic. And eventually we started prank calling the people who would call in. And that ended up on that record that we released, which for the record, I felt kind of bad about. But I mean, it is what it is when you're 20 something and you're, you have somewhat of a direction, but not really. But yeah, I've been using my voice for a long time. And I think that that skill to like try to become someone else has helped me with podcasting because you know, this as a podcaster yourself, Sarah, is that it's, it's weird to hear your own voice and the delivery that you have sometimes is different than you would have if the recorder wasn't on. So it got me really comfortable by imitating an old woman, for example, that I could be more myself because I was used to that. I was used to being somebody else. So then when she says, call me now, it, it's not always her that answers, I guess. Is she has. Oh, no, no. Okay. I no, I mean, it was a network. It was called, I think it was called Psychic Readers Network. And she was just the front person. She wasn't answering the phone. It was people like me. It was 20-something punk rock kids that were just reading numerology charts. And it was really just an opportunity to talk to people. People didn't really want their futures read. I I think this is where there's an interesting story there. It's like what we think people want is different than what they want. So think about this when you're doing your podcast, you're doing your website, your emails, anything that you've got going on. People just wanted to talk. People were just lonely. And they would call you up and there would be a friendly voice to talk to. It wasn't about numerology or their future or predictions. They just wanted to know things were going to be okay and that somebody was on the other end of the line. So no, it definitely was not her. It was me. I I suppose I could have had, I don't think I had a fake name. I don't remember, but some people did. Some people call themselves like Lady, you know, Lady Janet or something. Every, you know, people had characters. Did you ever get people calling upset that they weren't actually speaking with her or did (laughs) they, were they wanting to speak with her? I don't remember that ever happening. No, I, I think that I think everybody kind of knew the deal because the way they would market it, it was late night television, sometimes 30 minute infomercials. And you would, you would have a a reader and I would go directly into it because I didn't know tarot. People would call, they would want tarot or they'd want their future read. And I would 
say it immediately. I would say, I'm a, a numerologist and I'm going to take your birth date. I'm going to take some information about you. Then I'm going to tell you all about yourself. And that was my thing. So I, I kind of took the, the bull by the the horns there. And that would start the conversation. And then you would get into the stuff that they really wanted to talk about, which was like, I'm being harassed at work. I remember one woman, she was in the middle of Mississippi. She had nobody to talk to and she was working at a convenience store. And it, it, it really, it, it was shocking to me because I think that's when I realized like, uh-oh, I, I, I started this thing as fun and games, but this is actually really important work and that I don't need to joke around about this. And I, I started taking it a little more seriously. And, and eventually when I, I was desperate, I, that's why I started doing the, the pranks because I wanted to break out of that and start my record label. You know, and I think we, we can, that's maybe a whole nother discussion, but I think sometimes when we get desperate for meaning ourselves or money, we can do things that maybe we're not proud of. But to take it back to this woman in Mississippi, yeah, her boss was harassing her. And I don't know, I, I, I don't think she would have, I think she benefited from me more so than she would have just having a male who was understanding was going to listen to her and just say like you probably need to quit that job or you need to get help or you need to call some professional or something so i don't know it was it was a it was an interesting experience but eventually one that i don't know it was it was tough you know it was tough you'd hang up the phone you're like oh, i wonder what's happening to them then you'd worry like hey this woman's paying like 5.99 a minute to talk to me and she's working at a convenience store is that in alignment with what i want to do so I think it was a good experience. I don't knock myself up about it, but there were some things that I, I, I wanted to make more of a difference in the world. And that's what I eventually did. Almost kind of like a, a helpline in a way, it kind of sounds like. Yeah. Uh, one, well, it just makes you realize, again, how isolated people are. And they were telling you stuff that they wouldn't tell their friends. They don't, they don't have people they can talk to, people who are having affairs people who, you know, felt like they made a horrible mistake. We had people call about crimes and stuff that they did. It was interesting, man. I, I think there's an anonymity of the phone. Like these days we've got video chat and everything is pretty exposed and even social media. But back then, you know, it was just, just a phone. You didn't know who you were going to be connected to. And I think there was some level of freedom. It's like a confession booth, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know who this guy is. And I think that's one of the reasons that that radio or, or podcasting works. I feel like when you're talking to people that it's interesting we're having this conversation because I don't think I've ever, I've told that story a few times about working that hotline and uh, it's even on my LinkedIn just kind of as a joke. Hey, I worked for Miss Cleo. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I've never really gone there and it's interesting that you have these intimate conversations when it's just voice. And I think that's the power of podcasting and the power of audio only entertainment or information or whatever you want to call it, is that you really can't go deep in a way that you wouldn't with video because you don't feel as exposed and you feel like, oh, nobody's going to attach this with David Hooper. <laughs> but, mm -hmm. but of course, it's my voice and my name on it, right? I'm putting my name on it. But, you know, I, I wouldn't do it maybe at a live speech for me, maybe. It reminds me of back when I was, you know, before I could drive, we did these carpool things where one parent would drive several students to school and then a different parent would pick us up. One of the kids that we rode with, her mom would always listen. I think Dr. Laura, was that her name? Dr. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think so. Laura Schleisinger. Yeah. The, yeah the, the, the kind of a sex therapist advice woman. Yeah. Well, I, I don't remember. I mean, I remember it being more topics than that. It would like people would call in and ask stuff. But anyway, so I wonder if there there might be podcasts like that now. I don't know. It's not really my genre. <laughs> I listen to more entrepreneurial type of podcasts. But yeah, 
I wonder if if that isn't a thing, if that will become a thing at some point where people can either well, I know you can do this. You can record, you know, with SpeakPipe or a Google Voice number. But even if someone could call in live or something and there'd be a yeah. podcast where someone, I guess, a advice line or helpline. You can do it. What you're talking about is the issue, though, is that to do it live is difficult for a few reasons. One, it's not going out over the airwaves so people don't have something to bounce back and forth on. Like, oh, I just heard that caller. I've got something to talk about, too. The other element of of it is that you really need to have a screener, somebody to kind of figure out what the caller wants, have them get to the point. You've got to be really good on the fly. And any of those guys are that take those live calls. That's the reason you see a lot of people don't take live calls because people like me, when I was prank calling people, those are the people that we would try to get to. We tried to get to Dr. Laura, couldn't do it because mm-hmm. we wanted to get in there and play some prank on her. I mean, I, I think it's tough. I, I do think the thing that you're talking about too, though, is community and connection when people feel like they're part of something so you take somebody who's in the car listening to dr laura and she's going through whatever she's going through in her life that makes her connect to the dr laura show well she knows there's other people out there that are dealing with the same thing and she feels alone in her car with a bunch of kids or in her life but she feels like she's with people even though she doesn't know them and that kind of takes it back to what we were talking about, about the woman calling the psychic line in the middle of the night. There are a lot of people that are feeling alone. And I think that's the thing that, that podcasting can do, whether or not you have live calls or just you're that voice on the other end of the line and, and you, you don't even know that they exist, but they know you exist and they know you understand them. I, I would love to see more live calls. But when, you know, when Dr. Laura, part of the way she was able to get that many calls, though, she was being blasted out to, I don't know, let's say millions of people every afternoon and enough of them were calling in to be able to, you know, make a good show every day. I remember being on the air. I was in a small station in Mississippi. And this is so funny because (laughs) I had my show and we were giving away tickets. I think it was for like the Cranberries or something, some kind of no doubt, maybe it was a band that was really popular back in the late nineties. And I was like, all right, 14 caller gets them, 14th caller gets them. And uh, I played a song And nobody called in. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh, how am I going to give away these tickets? So I just had to to lie on the air. I was like, all right, we got uh, got 13 callers up. Next caller gets them. Nobody called in. And I came out of the next song and I was like, all right, John Smith, congratulations. You're going to see the Cranberries. (laughs) And and that's the reality for most podcasters is you're out there and you've got to get people to take action. Another thing to think about just until the technology is here is how are you going to build that community? and How are you going to get them to want to call in and take action? Well, and I guess there's with SpeakPipe, I don't know if you've heard of that, but oh, yeah. different. Okay, yeah. Where people could record something and ask a question. I've noticed yeah. more so people. That's like a voicemail. So mm-hmm. SpeakPipe, you just, and you can do it, as I understand it, you can do it on uh, via the web, or I think some places I think you can call in. I don't know if SpeakPipe has that, but yeah, like a voicemail. Like, hey, Sarah, it's David from Nashville, and what do you think about this? And you play it mm-hmm. later. Right. Yeah. I- I've noticed people implementing a section of their podcasts to oh, yeah. questions like that. And I don't know. It's it's kind of interesting. It's almost like radio. I mean, radio still exists, obviously, but it's like podcasting is. Well, what I like about it is that unlike radio, you don't usually have commercials. I mean, if you're a really big podcast, they usually have sponsored ads or yeah. something. But, but you can fast forward them. Mm hmm. You don't have to sit through them. <laughs> yeah, when I'm when I'm listening to the radio, anytime a commercial or even talk, 
comes on, I always change the station. Cause really? See, that's why nobody was calling me. I didn't know that. People like you were... <laughs> when I stopped playing music. <laughs> yeah, it could be. But that's still strange that nobody would call for free concert tickets because I used to do that. <laughs> Low radiant. It was a funny thing. I think podcasters relate to that, though, or certainly anybody with a website. You're like, all right, I'm, I've got it up there. People are just going to start rolling in. And that doesn't happen. But to your point, though, yeah, the, the community is great. And even something like Google Voice, Google Voice is free. You can have somebody record something that way just by calling a phone number. That's really great. Have somebody send you an MP3, just a voice memo that they do. And if you are going to do that on your podcast, I would suggest you call your friends first and you say, hey, look, I I need something to kick off this new segment of my podcast. Could you ask a question? Because then you're showing people how to consume your podcast. And that's what radio does. I remember we were going to add a call-in segment to my broadcast show, Music Business Radio. And I was working with these radio guys, you know, consultants or whatever. And they're like, yeah, you know, you're going to need to have people standing by the phone to call in because people are not going to call in at first. They don't know that that's expected of them. So even radio is doing that. They've got your mother-in-law calling in. Have you found, since you're still in radio, have you found that radio is kind of changing or evolving to now that podcasting is becoming so popular? Do you see yeah. radio changing? Well, let me tell you, let me tell you how the podcast became part of this. I was in the pitch meeting trying to pitch this radio show, the Music Business Radio is what it's called. And we're up in the conference room and I was dying. I was dying. I was in there because a friend of mine had gotten me in for the meeting. I, I'd known her because I'd run a music conference beforehand. I'd worked with this station. She's like, yeah, come on up. I'll get, I'll get you in. But I, as I mentioned, I had a little bit of background in radio and I'd worked on the phone. I was like a, you know, a phone psychic or whatever. I'd done conference calls, but I wasn't really a jock. And the month before, it just so happens that a buddy of mine who was in the music business and had just a newsletter from musicians. He had started a podcast. And I happened to say this during the pitch meeting for the radio show, go, you know, there's this thing called a podcast. If you wanted to go out nationally or even internationally, we could take this show. It would really help the reputation of the station. And just as a side note, it kind of gets into what we were talking about before. It's nice that it's there, but it's not guaranteed that millions of people are going to listen to it. But because it was so new and because they didn't really have a grasp and they're thinking, oh yeah, a bunch of people listen to it then. But I remember them saying, uh, a podcast, huh? Tell me about that. And for a long time, the podcast was kind of a, a joke at the station because people didn't get it. And this isn't just the station that I was at, but this is every station that people are like, well, we're radio. We've got a big antenna and we can turn it on and we've got half a million people listening to us or 50,000 people or how many people they have listening. What ended up happening in the station that I'm at, we really blazed the trail and podcasting became more and more important and streaming became more and more important, you know, 10 years later, 15 years later, and now they're doing original podcasts, not just radio shows. So that's one way that it's changed. And you see this with iHeart. iHeart has gotten into, this is actually funny. Last week, Ron Burgundy, remember the, what's the guy? Will Ferrell, the Will Ferrell movie. Oh, oh yeah. Uh-huh. He he has a podcast that was the number one ad on radio last week, advertising the Ron Burgundy podcast. So iHeart is trying to get broadcast listeners over to podcasting. And that that's one of the ways that it's changed overall, just that these guys now understand that podcasting doesn't hurt radio. It emphasizes it. I hadn't heard about that. So because Ron Burgundy is the character, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so now Ron Burgundy a- podcast. 
So it's a, a podcast where he's playing the character. Yep. Oh, yep. wow. That's yep. like a, that's like a whole other dimension that I didn't even, or I don't know if that's the right word, whole other niche, I guess. I don't know that I would have never even thought of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it sort of works, right? Cause he's an anchor man, but he doesn't get it. He's like, do they have podcasts on cassette now? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> so he, yeah, he's still in character. And that's another way that it's changed podcasting. I think at first when we started music business radio, we were, we were one of the first broadcast companies to go in there and actually take podcasting seriously. And what you had was a bunch of what I call super nerds. And they would walk down the street, just like, Hey, I'm walking down the street. I'm thinking about buying this new Macintosh computer and I might get this new monitor and I might, you know, there was what I call ramble cast. So those, because the quality, the air talent has gotten so much better, the entertainment, the production, the distribution, everything has gotten so much better. And what I mean by distribution is that we can get it on our phones now. We don't have to listen to it from a a desktop and the files are smaller and they sound better. That's one of the reasons that it's changing so much is that we're seeing the potential for it. I think at first, you know, Steve Jobs from Apple called podcast amateur hour because it was just a bunch of nerdy guys rambling. And when we figured out it could be real radio and there was a market for it that wouldn't kill radio, I think radio started to embrace it. I wonder if with this Ron Burgundy show, if now there's going to be this whole new category of people basically producing their own show, but a fake show, not like, I mean, because every podcast is a show, but you know what I mean? Like a comedy show with characters and whatnot. I've seen that. I was at a podcasting event about a year ago. These guys were so into it. They were even in character at the booth. So they were actors. And you actually are seeing a lot of pilots via podcast. They can do one podcast, like a season, for about the same amount of money that a pilot that's shot in video is. So they are testing ideas that may be made into films later. And we've started to see that. They're testing character ideas. They're, it, it's a great way to workshop things. And that's another reason why podcasting is growing. And definitely there are some, I don't, I don't know, my, my dad really loves this thing. He calls it old time radio. And you've probably heard it where before we had television, you would hear something like Dragnet, for example, that started out as a radio show. And then it became a television show or Lone Ranger or some of these old superhero kind of things with the sound effects and all. I think we're maybe going back into that. I'm not sure why that is. Maybe it's that we're spending so much time in our cars and things, or, or maybe we just need these outlets because it's so competitive to get a place on Netflix. I, I don't know. But yeah, we're definitely going to start to see more of that. Or at least we used to spend time in our cars. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, we're not currently. And, and that's actually hurt podcasting a little bit. Same thing with gyms being closed. The, the places that people were listening to podcasts, they're, mm-hmm. they're not available to us right now. Yeah, there was some show. Well, it started as a podcast. I'm trying to think of what it was, but it was like a true crime type of show. And then it turned into a TV show, I think on Apple. It had Octavia Spencer in it. I can't remember the name of it, but so yeah, it's interesting where some things are starting as podcasts and then they get so popular that then they make it into a TV show or maybe a movie. Definitely. Yeah. Lore is one of those podcasts. Lore was, I think it was on Amazon. They had a television series. And it's basically ghost stories. That's what lore, folklore, a series of books. 
So we're starting to see that. I think the reason we haven't seen it as much so far is that we're really just now starting to attract the great talent that, uh, like I said, podcasting, just like going to the radio office 15, 20 years ago, they, All right, we, we don't need podcasting. We've got radio. That I think podcasting is coming to its own and some good talent is going over there as far as writing talent. Because in, in the end, your production is great. That's pretty easy to do, but you've got to be able to connect with somebody as a host. And if you're doing something like fiction, it's going to have to be through the story. What is your opinion on Seth Rogen? Or sorry, not Seth. That is a person, Joe Rogan. I think. Joe, I yeah. meant Joe Rogan, but I feel, <laughs> I feel like Seth Rogen is a person. Yeah. But now I'm going to have to look it up because Seth right, Rogen, right. that's Joe somebody. Rogan, Joe Rogan. But I meant, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your opinion on Joe Rogan going uh, exclusive with Spotify. Yeah, so Joe Rogan, apparently $100 million deal. And I don't know, you know, having not been in that position myself, I feel like I probably would have taken the money. At the same time, I think it's going to be very similar to Howard Stern. Howard Stern was on broadcast radio, was everywhere. Howard Stern was so powerful when he went off the air. They didn't want anybody, they being radio, big radio, didn't want anybody having so much control and just having them under their thumb like Howard did and being able to negotiate any kind of money he wanted. They actually split the country in two East Coast versus West Coast, two DJs two different shows because they didn't want any one person having that much control. And I feel that what happened to him is very similar to what's going to happen to Joe Rogan in that he went exclusive to Sirius. Not everybody could get him. Some people followed him, only the hardcore fans though. And he's still legendary, but he's not as maybe everywhere as he was. Oprah was the same way. Once Oprah got off major television, broadcast television, Bill O'Reilly, we've seen this. He goes underground. He's got some kind of newsletter or podcast or something. So I think that Joe Rogan probably will go that same way. Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe it's about the money, but maybe he's like me. He just needed something to challenge him a bit. At the same time, he's got a younger audience and maybe they're all on Spotify. I was blown away how many people listen to podcasts on Spotify because I I don't, but people know that I'm in podcasting now and they'll come up to me and they'll say, I'm listening to podcasts on Spotify. I can't believe it. So do you think it's just a one-off thing or that more and more people are going to get these exclusive type of deals with whether it's Spotify or Apple or whoever? I think both because I think right now we're in sort of a bubble when it comes to the future of podcasting and money is just getting stupid. It's getting crazy. And we've seen a few of these things, a lot of them via Spotify. They've got so much money and they're spending so much money on music. They need content that they're not going to have to pay for or or pay for it in different ways. So they're looking for podcasts. But I I think in the end, I think that it's going to be like a real estate bubble. The prices are going to come down. They're going to be a whole lot more reasonable because I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that he's worth a hundred million. Maybe how they work their money is a whole lot different than how I work mine, but I can't imagine them getting the return on investment unless you think about all the publicity that Spotify got. And maybe they're thinking, hey, you know, I got a hundred million dollars worth of publicity around the world and we picked up subscribers that way. But I, I don't think that that's going to be something that is going to be sustainable for $10 a month subscribers. Just how, I mean, how many subscribers you can have to get to pay for that? Yeah, or or maybe they would monetize through ads that are in the shows. Maybe they would get a cut of that. Well, they could. I mean, if if they're doing the reach and somebody, this is just the other day, I couldn't believe it. They said that Rogan has ten minutes of ads at the beginning of his podcast. Oh, <laughs> I was like ten minutes. But there have been some statistics done that people either listen to all the ads or they listen to none of them. I know Tim Ferriss was another big one. He had 
about five minutes of ads last time I listened in on him. And that's, I don't know. I mean, people, sometimes they don't mind the ads. And if they like you, they especially don't mind them. That's why a host read ad is so much better for somebody. The host read ones that are under a minute, I'm okay with, but five and 10 minute or even sponsored ads that's not in the host voice. I don't know. It it loses me. <laughs> well, there's a way that you can do it. So for example, if we took an ad in this conversation, we're having a conversation about Spotify and I could immediately transition as a host to say, you know, Sarah, you know, as somebody from the music business, music is absolutely very important to me. It's what I think about when I wake up and what I think about when I'm going to bed. That's why you've got to have great headphones to listen to. And we could immediately go into like a segue and people are, oh, okay. And it would work mm-hmm. and we could make it fun. And we could talk about bad headphones. We could talk about hearing loss or we could talk, who knows what we could talk about, you know, like a screaming kid and you want to get rid of that screaming kid, put your headphones on now that we're in quarantine. And we could think of ways to make the ad somewhat entertaining, but also work. And you just don't see that with the non-host read ads, definitely, or the ads where they put them in later because it there's a break. And I don't know if you've ever heard that Casey Kasem clip where he's coming out of a death dedication. No, I'm sorry. He's coming out of an upbeat number, he says, and goes straight into a death dedication. And Casey Kasem just goes off. What are you doing? We can't come out of this upbeat number and go into a death dedication. You've got to transition and it's got to make sense for people. Otherwise, it's like train wreck, two trains crashing right into each other. And uh, yeah, we'll see how they work that because they're going to have to get really creative. They want people to listen to the stuff, in my opinion. Although some people may just listen to it in the background, like we mentioned, sometimes people listen to all of them or they're listening to none of them. It just depends on who they are. Yeah. I think when you work it into a conversation that works. And I think even if people know that's what you're doing, I don't think they mind it as much. (laughs) Well, just to see where it goes, right? Because it can be creative. Like, I wonder where this guy's going to go with this, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, just to see that because there is some some element to pitching. Sometimes, you know how it is if you're watching like late night television, something like Miss Cleo, for example. I mean, that was, those are pretty fun commercials, right? Because you're like, is this for real? This is just crazy enough that it was sort of entertaining. Uh, Billy Mays, you know, Billy Mays here for OxyClean. It's like, wow, there's something compelling about it. And yeah, we could maybe do more of that in podcasting. Well, I really appreciate your time today. We had a lot of interesting conversations from Miss Cleo and VeggieTales, Joe Rogan, not Seth Rogan. Uh, <laughs> was there anything else that you wanted to talk about that we hadn't yet? If, if you're somebody and you're thinking about starting a podcast, I think that this is accessible to everybody. $60 mic will get you all you need to have the basics. Then if, if you're like a lot of people, you'll spend more money later. It's like, oh, I need more and more and more. But 60 bucks will get you started. I've got some great stuff at bigpodcast.com. Some, I guess, let's say I've got some training free training on how to interview people, how to jumpstart your podcast, ways that you can become a better solo podcaster. And it's super accessible. And I'm, I'm thankful for it. And I'm thankful for you, Sarah, for allowing me to come on here and talk a little bit about it. Well, I appreciate it. It's been fun and entertaining. And I'll also have show notes at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash big podcast. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Sarah. If you enjoyed and found value from this episode, I'd greatly appreciate it if you rate review, subscribe, and share at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcastpreneur. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. 
If you haven't already, don't forget to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Until next time.